This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. Cam, good morning, or actually afternoon this time. Any plans for the long weekend we have here in the U.S.? Well, I'm uh, actually mostly focused on dodging these Arctic air masses that have <laughs> uh, started to park themselves in my neck of the woods. So mm. uh, <clears throat> plans are, are rather contingent on the thermometer this weekend. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, not to burst the bubble, but we do have some beautiful sunshine here today. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of our usual kind of weekly recap on how flows were behaving, which we'll do in a as well. Um, we're going to take a look back on CAM's 2021 mid-year outlook to see what did and did not pan out for the rest of the year. This week, though, the Fed's certainly hawkish outlook has caused markets to go up and down in the latest week um, with inflation and the sooner rather than later interest rate hikes. Did we see this take into effect in the latest week's flows? We did, but not as much as you might expect. Um, Certainly, bank loan funds, which are also known as floating rate funds uh, and are are widely used as as a way to play rising short-term U.S. interest rates, uh, had their biggest inflows since the first quarter uh, of 2017. But other fund groups that you would expect to sort of reflect that, that turmoil uh, really didn't. There was solid, if not spectacular, flows into U.S. equity funds. Uh, the headline number for emerging markets equity funds was pretty robust. Um, plenty of activity in the sector fund space. And uh, in that area, technology sector funds, which I would not have been surprised to see big outflows, uh, pulled in over $3 billion for the week. Right. I think in the, the last two weeks, we've seen great conviction from investors into the sector funds uh, space. In the latest week, we saw two sectors pull in over $3 billion and a few others also pull in over a billion. And the, in the previous week, it was also four groups pulling in over a billion. Which sectors are investors focused on currently? Well, certainly financial sector funds are enjoying a good run. Um, the assumption being that with uh, higher interest rates, they'll have more of a, a yield curve to work work from when sort of pricing their loans and services. Uh, the one that perhaps caught my eye last week was over a billion dollars into utility sector funds. Um, at first blush, you it would make sense in that uh, energy prices have been. Uh, going up, the price of natural gas, which is a pretty key component of many uh, u- utilities, either directly or through electricity generation, um, you know, suggests higher higher revenues. Uh, but when I dug into the numbers in, of the top dozen funds ranked by the amount of money they detracted 
uh, during the week. Uh, seven of them were tied to water, either delivery treatment uh, or supply. Um, so that that was slightly curious. Interesting. In the emerging markets space, these countries seem to struggle when tightening monetary policy is guiding the story. Which countries are dominating this space? Well, everyone, or not everyone, but certainly (laughs) um, I think quite a few financial professionals are are watching out to see if there's any repeat of the 2013-2014 taper tantrum uh, when emerging markets and, and sentiment towards them convulsed just on the expectation that the Fed was going to start tightening. Um, so far, we haven't really seen that, though this, I think, is is due in part to the outsized role that China uh, plays in that space. And uh, at least for the past few months, uh, that's been mirrored by the dominance of China equity funds when it comes to uh, attracting the bulk of the fresh money that has gone into the emerging market space. Uh, while the EMA, EMEA and Latin American fund groups have tended to be the outliers. Right. In your outlook, your mid-year outlook, uh, better times for Mexico equity funds was part of your prediction um, as they kind of emerged as the mm. star um, among emerging markets country funds. Your expectation was also that funds dedicated to pigs, which includes Portugal, Italy, Ireland, Greece, and Spain, would trump UK equity funds for the rest of the year. Did this hold up? Well, let's see. Let's start with the one that didn't really hold up, which is uh, Mexico equity funds. Um, I I certainly stand by my reasoning. Um, When I made it, energy prices were on the rise, and Mexico is is a significant oil producer. Um, And China was demonstrably clamping down in a variety of ways, clamping down on key sectors, but also uh, clamping down on whole cities, regardless of their place in the supply chain, to contain covid so it seemed very reasonable to me that uh, Mexico's public finances were likely to get better, that its role as an alternative uh, destination for um, offshoring uh, would be enhanced. Uh, and furthermore, the elections last year appeared to sort of clip um, the wings of the populist president uh, uh, known by his initials, AMLO. Um, however, I perhaps underestimated AMLO and his ability to uh, continue to loudly pursue policies that upset investors. Uh, and those uh, those flows that I ran was anticipating for Mexico equity funds really never never showed up. Mm. The kind of superiority in terms of attracting fresh money of the so-called pigs markets in Europe's relative to the UK, that did uh, play out. Uh, Though towards the end of the year, some of that enthusiasm for exposure to Italy, Spain, Greece, uh, 
Ireland and Portugal was beginning to wane again. Uh, but cer- certainly in the third quarter into the fourth quarter, um, there was uh, the, you know, greater enthusiasm for exposure to certainly Spain and Italy and to a lesser extent Greece uh, that we'd seen for some time. Uh, while the UK UK funds uh, produced a pretty relentless stream of, of large weekly outflows, um, you know, mm-hmm. tied I think to uh, a combination of uh, uh, a feeling that the government there had let slip the the advantage in fighting COVID that it had gained by its earlier uh, launching of a credible vaccination program. Uh, and a series of just generally surprisingly market unfriendly actions by the conservative government, uh, including uh, clinging to an energy price cap that <laughs> has has driven uh, a lot of uh, suppliers out of the market. And is there a spotlight on a different country as we enter 2022 in in the emerging market space? China is casting such a big shadow that um, um, it, it's sort of hard to see much beyond that. Um, of course. You know, I do think 2022 may be the year when in much the same way that uh, uh, from uh, many perspectives, uh, the global funds are viewed as global and global ex-U.S., uh, emerging markets will be viewed as, as as sort of emerging markets and emerging markets ex China. You know, we have seen a bit of interest in uh, smaller markets in the past few weeks. Uh, uh, flows to Peru equity funds were significantly higher than they've been for a while, and that was obviously of interest to investors because. Um, Latin America is going through one of its populist periods, both left and right. Uh, you know, populist leaders uh, now uh, hold the presidencies in uh, Brazil, Mexico, um, uh, Peru, uh, Bolivia, and uh, just after the mo- latest uh, um, elections in Chile as well, the, the new president might bulk at that description. <laughs> um, so um, that 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 investors are getting a little more comfortable with Peru is probably uh, a noteworthy signal, both in terms of what uh, might happen in terms of flows towards Latin America and broader uh, investor risk appetite towards the emerging markets universe. It'll be interesting to see what 2022 brings for those those countries. The dominant theme for the second half of 2022, you mentioned, was diversification in your outlook, um, with rest investor rotation between asset classes at its highest level since 2018. Is that a continued theme that we're seeing? It certainly held up um, global um, equity funds and, to a lesser extent, global bond funds uh, were very consistent. Uh, attractors of fresh money. Uh, Global equity funds were the preferred destination for most of the retail flows that we saw in the second half of last year. Uh, As the year progressed, on the equity side anyway, um, global funds started to sort of share that pedestal with uh, funds dedicated to the U.S. and China. 
But on the fixed income side, we also saw enduring appetite for more diversified uh, exposure. And the two major multi-asset groups that we track, uh, balanced and total return funds, uh, enjoyed really strong inflows right up to the final weeks of the year. So, um, you know, that prediction uh, certainly played out. Well, another prediction that you had uh, was that equity and bond funds with socially responsible SRI and environmental, social, and governance, ESG, mandates would experience not as smooth or consistent flows as they had previously. Can you provide some more insight here? Yes. So that was... um, in some ways, not a particularly hard prediction to make. Um, they had taken in ever-increasing sums, um, and the the asset base that the, those funds were directed to, um, certainly the sort of the credible, green, and socially responsible plays, uh, were, were sort of uh, getting bid up to uncomfortable levels. Um, but the other factor behind my prediction there, which did play out, uh, is twofold. One was that um, the theme as a whole was coming under increasing scrutiny uh, because some less scrupulous practitioners were talking the talk but not walking the walk and sort of claiming to be SRIESG when, in fact, their, their portfolios were nothing of the sort. That brought on greenwashing, right? Yes, that uh, greenwashing was the name that that was called. Okay. The other one, and in some ways a bit more fundamental uh, to my analysis, is that uh, having won the debate in many ways, um, and so the 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 uh, SRIESG theme is now not just in the position of shouting from the sidelines, its policies and goals are being translated into um, actual legislation and change. And some of that change is pretty painful for the end users. The uh, uh, most obvious one is energy. Um, With uh, the SRI ESG movement making it much harder for um, sort of classic fossil fuel companies Mm. to devote resources to further uh, development and exploration um, and some of the alternatives running into problems like the sun not shining and the wind not blowing – um, all of a sudden, the uh, the ESG movement finds itself faced with taking ownership of some some developments in day to day life that probably don't make people feel as warm and fuzzy about it, like much higher energy bills. So, uh, I you know I think those factors uh, are going to continue to give it. Uh, a bumpier ride, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the foreseeable future. That mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. they continue to consistently uh, attract money, uh, and I still view them as a privileged asset class in the way that municipal bond funds are privileged. Um, it's very clear that there's going to be a lot of public policy and mm-hmm. fiscal support for these goals and that the playing field is likely to be adjusted 
to their advantage. So um, it's not as if I'm expecting a hard stop, but the mm-hmm. smooth upward curve that we were seeing through the middle of last year, uh, yeah, that has uh, changed. Well, great. Thank you, Cam. And we'll see you next week. All right. Well, that had a slightly different flavor. And yeah, now enjoy the weekend. Think of me as uh, the icicles form. And oh, dear. <laughs> enjoy your sunshine. Thank you. Bye. All right. Good. Bye.